Well, good morning again, guys. Um, I am Stuart. It's great to be here. It's great to be able to, to preach this sermon. I'm really thankful for the opportunity. We are starting a new series uh, this morning. It's, uh, we're kicking off our series in Nehemiah titled From Rubble to Restoration. Um, and if you've never read the book of Nehemiah before, I would really, yeah, I would encourage you to do so. Um, as we work through this series, just start off by reading it, I'd say, start to finish. If you're really keen, you could read the book of Ezra first and then go into Nehemiah. Together, they tell the story of uh, the plight of the Israelites um, and Jerusalem. But yeah, let's kick off. Let's open up our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter one. Um, open up your Bibles, open up your Bible apps. I'm reading from the ESV translation. Other translations are available but that's what I'll be reading for if you want to follow along with me. Starting Nehemiah chapter one and verse one. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital, that Han and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. And we pray that God will bless the reading of his words and that he'll send his Holy Spirit just to guide us as we uh, look through it today. And yeah, I've just been so glad uh, this morning we've talked about all the different things going on in the church and uh, Pete's said actually time and time again through the service about praying over things, whether it's the life groups or the prayer meetings or because as, as we approach Nehemiah, if, if we didn't think about prayer, it would be like, I don't know, like going to McDonald's and ordering a salad. It would be like totally missing the point of being there. So this morning, as we look at this chapter in Nehemiah, I want us to think about the three P's of prayer. The first P, people. The second P will be promise for the prodigal. And the third P will be preparation. 
So that first P, people. Nehemiah's prayer begins in verse 5. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Nehemiah's prayer here is for the people, not the wall. It's for the people, not the project that he knows will come up. When uh, Hananiah appears before Nehemiah, Nehemiah asks after the people in Jerusalem. And Hananiah says, the people are in trouble. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. But Nehemiah's prayer is for the people, the people that are in trouble before he can even think about the wall of Jerusalem that has broken down. Because when Nehemiah heard this news, how did he react? In verse 4 it says, he sat down, wept, and mourned for days. Not because of some broken construction, but because of what the destroyed walls meant for the people. The walls being destroyed were symbolic of the spiritual decline and wayward wandering of the Israelites. The walls being destroyed were a direct result, a consequence of God's judgment upon his people and would have had very real consequences for the people living in that city, the people living in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah wept for the people. Do you weep for the people? Do we look around the city that we are in, the communities that we are in and weep? Are we prepared to? Are we prepared to lay our emotions bare, to recognise the sin that is affecting people around us, the impact that it's having on their lives, and weep for them? I'm not suggesting that we wallow in it or walk up to people and cry for them. We don't wallow because we know that God is greater. We know that he is above all things and over all things. Nehemiah believed this, but he knew that it was the right thing to do to weep over the ruins of a broken people. In Luke 19 verse 41, we see Jesus approaching the city of Jerusalem and he wept over it. As he approached the city where he knew that he would be crucified for the sins of the world, where he died the death that we could not die and paid the price that we could never pay for our sins, he wept not for himself but for the people. If Jesus weeps and Nehemiah weeps, can we weep? In a study on Nehemiah by this great guy called Selwyn Hughes, he says, we can never lighten the load for others until we have first felt the weight of their troubles in our own soul. Nehemiah was not ready to put into action any kind of recovery plan for Jerusalem until he had first faced his feelings and wept. His prayer is for the people, not the project that he knows he's going to have to undertake. And is that a challenge for us as a church? As we look ahead to the future and how we can reach the people around us, help the people around us, we need to really grasp the reality of their situations and allow God to guide us as to how we can best serve them. Projects are all very well. And church programs can achieve great things. But first, our hearts need to be for the people. 
We need to be prepared to weep, to lay our emotions bare. The next P that I said is a promise for the prodigal. Because Nehemiah didn't just weep for the people of Jerusalem. He prayed to God that he would remember his promises towards his people. As I said, we weep, but we don't wallow because we know that God is greater. We know his grace. We know his mercy. And the walls of Jerusalem were broken as a result of the Israelites' disobedience and turning away from God. Their actions and behavior had consequences. They had a covenant with God, which Nehemiah asks God to remember. An agreement on both sides. He doesn't ask God to remember it because he thinks God needs reminding. He asks God to remember because he knows now that he needs God. Nehemiah needs God to be working for his people. And this covenant was an agreement on both sides that in verse 8, Nehemiah calls the word that you commanded your servant Moses. By this word, by this covenant that God gave to Moses, he said that Israel would be God's prized possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation set apart, that God would fight for Israel and overcome her enemies and God would treat Israel with grace and mercy and forgive her sins. Israel's part of the covenant was to follow the Ten Commandments and obey God. But they didn't. Time and time again, they broke this covenant. In truth, if we were to look back through the Bible to when that covenant was formed, we saw they actually broke that covenant before it had even been formed completely. They saw what the nations around them had and they wanted it. They saw the idols that other people worshipped and worshipped them instead of God. Being holy meant being set apart, but instead they chose to marry into other nations and take on their beliefs, their customs, even if it contradicted what God said. And it had consequences. Our actions have consequences. Nehemiah acknowledges this. As we've seen in verse 6, he's already asked God to hear his prayer, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. He knows what the nation has done wrong. He knows what the people of Israel have done wrong and it is causing him to weep. And in verses 8 and 9, he asks God to remember that while Israel's unfaithfulness leads them to being scattered, it is God's faithfulness that if they return to him, he will gather them back again. Even while they are unfaithful, God promises that he is a faithful God. While admitting that the Israelites haven't been faithful, Nehemiah recognizes that the covenant with God is built upon God's grace, God's love, and that even as we are unfaithful, God is faithful. Maybe you're listening to this thinking, man, this is pretty heavy. And the my poor attempt at kind of rushing through covenant theology has left you feeling a bit more mixed up or confused about it than you were before. But maybe you're listening to this feeling, man, this is heavy. This weight of feeling that I haven't been faithful. This weight of feeling that, like the Israelites, I've wandered from God. 
I've been wayward time and time again. This weight of feeling that I haven't been obedient to God. This weight of feeling that like the Israelites, I've done things in my life that aren't right. And now the walls of my life are crumbling. I want you to know that there is hope. There is a hope, even where it feels like there is none. That nothing has moved you too far from God. That nothing can move you out of his loving reach. If you turn to him, if you return to him, Maybe this morning you're hearing this for the first time and you're thinking, I'm so far from where God needs me to be. But that's just not true. You're, well, it might be true, but it's not true that you're too far away. Maybe you've been walking with God over the past week or month or over the past lockdown that you're thinking, I've just wandered so far from him and I don't know how to get back. Well, the covenant between God and the Israelites wasn't based on sinless perfection. God's love and grace cannot be earned by obeying laws, but rather living a life in him. Living a life in him and that, through that life, we show our obedience. We don't earn God's love. Only one person was able to live a perfect, sinless life. And that was Jesus, who though he had done nothing wrong, became the perfect sacrifice for our sins when he suffered death upon a cross. And it is by his blood that we have been washed clean and can be in a right relationship with God. And that is open to anybody. That is where our hope should be and that is where our faith should lie. Not in anything that we can do to bring ourselves back to God. If you are feeling far from God, you need to start with that. God loved the world for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have eternal life. God is faithful to that even when we are unfaithful. And that is part of Nehemiah's prayer. Jesus told a parable of a son. And that son is so like the Israelites in this situation. A son who demanded his inheritance from his father. He took it, he squandered it, and was left with nothing. He took a job feeding pigs before deciding that heading home and being a servant for his dad would at least be better than what he was doing now. He felt like he could no longer be called his father's son. But as he walked home, the most amazing thing happened. His father, who was watching for him, longing for him to return, saw the son walking along the road and he ran out to meet him. He hugged him, he put a robe on him, he threw a feast to celebrate his return. And maybe you are feeling like that prodigal son at the moment, feeling like you can't even return. But the Father God is waiting to run at you with open arms. Maybe you are feeling like Israel. Your walls are crumbling, destroyed. But God is faithful. God 
loves you and he wants you to return to him. He wanted the Israelites to return to him. The people in Jerusalem, their walls, their physical walls were destroyed. But God wanted them to return to him. And the final P was for preparation. Nehemiah repented for the people of Israel. But he also said sorry to God personally. He knew that before he could do anything, he had to put his own relationship with God right. Nehemiah had to make sure that he had turned back to God, that he was in the right place and relationship with God. In verse 6, he says, even I and my father's house have sinned. He is putting himself with the people. He is putting them with his with their plight. He knew he was going to have a job to do, a wall-building task ahead. But before he did anything, he prayed. At home, at the moment, we are getting some work done. And almost the opposite to this, we've not got a wall to build. We've got a wall to uh, put a hole in, a wall to break. But before we do that, we've got to plan. We've got to plan what we're doing, how we're going to support that hole in the wall. We need to submit building warrants. We've got a joiner that's helping us in all of these things. Because before we can launch into that project, we need to plan. We need to know what we're going to do because in honesty, actually, if we launch into it without a proper plan, put a hole in that wall, it's just going to, well, it won't just fall. The floor above it will all fall in. The plan needs to be in place. But before this plan can even be in place for Nehemiah, he knows that he has to pray to God. He knew he was going to have a job to do. So often when we talk about impressive people, we say, that they're a man or woman of action. But here we see a man that weeps, fasts and prays. He doesn't call a committee meeting or ask architects to draw up some plans for a new wall. He prayed for the people and he prayed for himself. He knew he was going to have to go to his boss, King Artaxerxes, and ask to go back to Jerusalem to build the wall. But before he could do that, he had to pray. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And by this man, he's talking about King Artaxerxes. He's praying to God that you'll find favor with him, that God will prepare the way. A prayer of preparation. And as a church, that's where we are. We're talking about going into view. We're talking about going into the cinema, into this new place to be able to meet together and have church. We need to pray for that situation. He prays to God for favor in the eyes of the king, in the eyes of the people around him. He has prayed to God that he will redeem his people by his great power and by his strong hand. And now he needs God to prepare the way. And it's not just a one-off prayer. The next chapter, chapter two, there's a bit of a time difference, bit of a time delay. There's four months between when Nehemiah is praying this prayer and when he actually goes to the king. And in those four months, I'm sure he is not just sitting, twiddling his thumbs, getting plans drawn up. He is praying. God is preparing the way. 
And as a church, as things start to open up again, after 18 months of various levels of lockdown and as new opportunities present themselves, let's be prayerful. In this time, walls have crumbled and need to be rebuilt in our lives, in our communities, our city and our nation. And the reflex is to spring into action. Finally, we can begin to do things. But let's be prayerful. Let's prepare like Nehemiah by praying for the people, by readying ourselves to weep for them. By praying to God for ourselves, remembering his promises for the prodigal and turning back to him where we need to and by praying for favour in preparation of how we can serve him and his kingdom. Just as I'm bringing this to an end, I'm just going to reread that quote and extend it a bit, the one from Selwyn Hughes that I read in that study. He said, before anyone can receive a blessing, someone else has to be willing to bear a burden. We can never lighten the load for others until we have first felt the weight of their troubles in our own soul. Nehemiah was not ready to put into action any kind of recovery plan for Jerusalem until he had first faced his feelings and wept because of its ruined state. Likewise, we are fit to do God's work only when we have faced matters and recognized how they are in reality, accepted the truth of the situation. Are you aware of any broken down walls in your own life? Let's just pray.